0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Packaged Tourist hosted by yours truly, the Packaged Tourist and the Magical Mystery Tour called Life, Matthew Diaz, Tonight's guest is sports author, author Vincent Guerri. Vincent is an award-winning journalist who works, have appeared in newspapers, magazines, and online. He is a native of Youngstown, Ohio, a graduate from Bowling Green University, and has published, published three books on Ohio sports history. His first book, Ohio Sports Trivia, was released in 2011. His second book, The Blue Streaks and Little Giants, More Than a Century of Sandusky and Fremont Ross Football, was released in 2013. And his latest book, Weird Moments in Cleveland Sports, Bottlegate, Bed Bugs, and Burying the Pennant, was released in November 2022. Vincent, welcome to the show. It's an honor and privilege to have you here. Would you please tell our listeners about your latest book, Weird Moments in Cleveland Sports?
1: Sure, sure. It's uh, it was my p- pandemic project, uh, basically. Uh, fortunately, my wife and I both uh, uh, were able to stay healthy and continue working, but I had a lot of free time on my hands, and um, we were we had been talking on social media. The book was actually crowdsourced on Twitter, uh, and we were actually talking on social media about how uh, Cleveland appears to have. An enormous amount of strange happenings in its sports history, and I was able to pull enough uh, together for an outline. And I was able to sell uh, the outline to Gray Publishing, a, a, a publisher here in the Cleveland area, and um, I was able to write a book about.
0: It. Vince, I'm, I'm looking, looking at your book up on Amazon, there was one little weird moment that really—it's—it's uh, it's incredibly hilarious. Please tell our listeners about the Cleveland Cavaliers player who actually scored a layup on his own basket. Who was it and why did he do it? <laughs> well,
1: what's really funny is um, that is one of those things, and this is an example of how strange things can be in uh, in Cleveland sports. That actually happened on two separate occasions. Uh, the first time was the uh, Cavs inaugural season in 1970 71. And they were playing the Portland Trail Blazers, who was another uh, expansion team that year. Uh, so neither of them were really that good. And the Cavs get a uh, jump ball, uh, and they uh, engineer fast break down the field, and uh, John Warren throws up a shot, and it goes in the basket, and the uh, referees waved it off because it all took place heading toward the wrong basket. <laughs> now that was... Garden variety uh, ineptitude, but what happened thirty uh, odd years later was was a little uh, a little stranger. It was even stranger than that, if you can believe it. Uh, there was a guy by the name of Ricky Davis, and this is the Cavs in 2002-03. Uh, they were the worst team in the NBA, uh, and they they of course uh, were able to parlay that into the first overall draft pick, which they used to get LeBron James. But prior to that, uh, Ricky Davis was having himself a night against the Utah Jazz. Uh, it was a bad year for the Cavs. It wasn't a great year for the Jazz either, and they were and the Cavs were on their way to winning that game. And Ricky Davis realized that he was a rebound away from a triple double. Um, obviously, uh, double figures in uh, points, uh, rebounds, and assists. So he uh, took the inbound pass and actually took a shot at the opposing or the the Cavaliers' own basket. So he could pull down a rebound and get his, his triple double. Um, he actually did not get the triple double because if you shoot at the wrong basket, it does not count as a rebound. Uh, and what he did get was absolutely trucked by a, uh, by a player from, from the Utah Jazz. And uh, Ricky Davis was, uh, did not believe the hype around LeBron James. Uh, he said, this is one more option for, for uh, me to score more. And uh, he was gone shortly after that.
0: <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Okay, let's talk about another funny story from your book, Weird Moments in Cleveland Sports. Please tell our audience about the Cleveland Indians player who was traded for himself.
1: <laughs> well, he wasn't a, an Indians player very long. Uh, it was Harry Chee, And Harry Cheedy was one of those guys that was just knocked around the major leagues for years. Uh, he's probably best known playing for the – uh, for the Cubs in the 1950s, and he ended up uh, playing for the Indians. Actually, I don't think he ever actually played for him. He's one of those guys who came and went in the span of an off season, uh, and they traded him to the Mets, who at the time were an expansion team. And he ended up, um, you know, he was in, uh, he was with the Mets for about six weeks, and they had dealt him for cash considerations and a player to be named later. And after about six weeks, um, the uh, Mets told him, uh, you've been traded and you should report to Jacksonville. And uh, Jacksonville at the time was an Indians affiliate. And that's how Harry Chee ended up being traded. He was the proverbial player to be named later in the trade for himself.
0: I don't think that's the first time it ever happened. I think if someone there was another player that happened too, but I know Cheedy was one of them because reading books on the Mets, it's always a favorite Mets story, you know, the Harry oh, really? Cheedy story. But I don't think that's the only time that ever happened. But I can't tell whatever the other team, the other person that happened to.
1: I don't think it's the only
0: time it ever happened, but it might have been the first. Yeah, almost certainly. Yeah. Now, Vince, when you were editing and organizing your latest book, did you leave any stories on the cutting room floor? Uh, I mean, do you have like any in reserve? you ever contemplate a second book on weird moments in Cleveland sports history?
1: There was one story that I was really disappointed that I, I could not include. Um, the, the the book is actually broken up by collections of incidents. We didn't break it up by sports. It was, you know, there's a chapter on bad personnel moves. There's a chapter on you know, goofy things that happen on the field, and there's a chapter on weird, um, uh, weird injuries. And I forgot to, it, I were really wanted to include Marty Cordova having to go on the injured list because of uh, an incident. I think he ended up, uh, I think he ended up falling asleep in a tanning bed, and I was very disappointed as I researched that further to realize that that happened while he was in. Uh,
0: while he was in Minnesota, not while he was in Cleveland, so oh. uh, I was a little disappointed that I couldn't include that in the book. Okay, now let's talk about your let's talk about uh, your, your second book uh, that you came out with, uh, the Blue Streaks and Little Giants: More Than a Century of Sandusky and Fremont Ross Football. What led you to write about that? You call it the second longest high school football rivalry, right, in, in Ohio sports history? Correct.
1: Correct. It's the uh, you know, uh, the, the longest, uh, tenured rivalry is Maslin and Canton McKinley. And, and obviously there are probably way more people who have heard of, of that than, than Fremont, Ross, and Sandusky. Uh, the game, the rivalry that has been played the most is actually Picklet and Troy, uh, down in southwestern Ohio. And, uh, uh, but yeah, Fremont, Ross, and Sandusky, I, I saw that somebody else had written a book about another rivalry in uh, Ohio high school sports, and I thought, I, Ross, and Sand. I lived in Fremont at the time, I was uh, I was a sports editor for the local newspaper there, and uh, I said Fremont, Ross, and Sandusky is just as interesting, if not more so.
0: Ooh, okay. So when you were re- researching that book, was it, di- was it any difficulty tracking down players and coaches who took part in that rivalry?
1: not even a bit like i said i was the uh uh, sports editor in uh in fremont and i i spent a lot of time writing about uh you know writing about fremont raw sports and and it was fairly easy to to make some connections with people in sandusky and uh, because there were still a lot of people who were not just you know still alive but still alive and Um, staying in the area so it was it was easy to to track a a lot of them down.
0: Now you you state in the the Amazon description of the book that some famous athletes came from both of those schools can you tell our uh, audience some of those famous athletes?
1: Sure sure probably the the two most uh, famous are actually uh, fairly recent it was uh, Charles Woodson played for Fremont Ross and and Orlando Pace played for uh, Sand, Sandusky. Uh, Woodson, of course, went on to the University of Michigan, won a Heisman Trophy there, had a uh, Hall of Fame career uh, in um, Oakland and in uh, Green Bay, and, and Orlando Pace went on to, to Ohio State, and he went on to a Hall of Fame career
0: uh,
1: as an offensive lineman.
0: Wow, okay. You uh, said there was a Heisman Trophy winner, too. Uh, uh, who, was that Orlando Pace? That was Charles Woodson. Oh, okay, okay. Um, let's see. let's talk about your first book, uh, uh, Ohio Sports Trivia. When you were compiling that, do you have like do you have like a favorite trivia piece or pieces that you really like the most? What's your favorite favorite bit of Ohio sports trivia in your in your heart?
1: Well, one of the things that really fascinates me about uh, uh, about Ohio sports is. Uh, And I wrote about this story in that book, and I actually wrote a a feature for Ohio Magazine about it. Uh, Ohio is, uh, was where the longest U.S. Open golf tournament uh, was ever played. It was played at the Inverness Country Club in Toledo in 1931. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, the the U.S. Open is a little different from uh, any other major golf tournament because um, you know, places like the Masters or, or the British Open or, or anything like that, if two players end in a tie, uh, they will go to a sudden death playoff. Uh, the uh, U.S. Open, if two players end up, or, well, I guess I should say two or more players end up in a tie, they just say, we're going to come back and play uh, another round of golf. And uh, now uh, the way the rules are is you come back and you play another 18 holes of golf and then you go into... Uh, a sudden death playoff if if there's still a tie but the way it used to be the tournament used to be um, a three-day tournament there was 18 holes 18 holes and then 36 holes on the final day and in 1931 uh, after 72 holes there were there were uh, two guys uh, Billy Burke and George Von Elm uh, who were tied and under the rules of the day they said everybody come back we're gonna play 36 more holes the next day Jeez. And this one of the first time that that had happened, but you know, usually at that point, uh, when you go into the first day of a playoff, uh, somebody really separates themselves. Uh, it happened once with Bobby Jones, I think he ended up winning like by like six or seven strokes. But on this particular day, uh, Burke and Von Elm played 36 more holes and they were tied again. So Jeez. they had played, uh, 108 holes of golf, and they were still still <laughs> tied and they said, all right, come back tomorrow. We're gonna play 36 more holes. So they played another 36 more holes, and Burke won by one stroke. After all that, these two guys have played 144 holes of golf, never happened before. And they changed the rules to make sure that it never happened again. Oh, man. And (laughs) and, uh, Burke ended up winning by one stroke.
0: Wow. Vince, um, when you were growing up, were you an athlete yourself?
1: I, you know, I played, uh, I played baseball and football and basketball as a, as a kid. I kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say grown out of it by the time I had left, uh, uh by the time I, I had gotten to high school, uh, I think I, I just realized, uh, exactly my limitations, but you know, I've, I've always been a, a sports fan and it was right around that time where, uh, I said, you know, I, I can't, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I can't really uh, play sports at, at any really high level. But, you know, even at that point, I realized that you know, I might be able to write about it. and and I was able to I've been able to do so since. And, uh, you know, sometimes it feels like a, a con that uh, just keeps working.
0: Oh, so so at what age did you start did you start writing?
1: Well, obviously, I mean, like everybody else, I, I had to uh, do a certain amount of writing in in elementary school, and junior high, and high school. I the first time I really gave serious thought to you know doing it for a living was, um, you know, when I was in when I was in middle school, I had won had um, won a writing contest, and, and and my father said, "You think you can do this for a living?" And I said, yeah, "I don't know. And and I guess that was the first time that I really sort of considered it.
0: Now, Vince. Whenever I interview an author, I always ask the standard question: When you were growing up, who were your favorite authors? And of those favorite authors, did any of them inspire you to become an author, or perhaps influence your writing style?
1: Well, I I was always a uh, a, a very serious newspaper reader, and mm. and it was uh, you know so I read the local paper in Youngstown, and and on Sundays we got the the Pittsburgh Press, and we got the plane dealer in Cleveland, and, um, you know, I was, uh, I I had always read newspapers, so I I was familiar with a lot of uh, celebrity-type newspaper writers, and I can remember reading Mike Ryko from the Chicago Tribune just being absolutely mesmerized by the things he wrote, and then, you know, when I was high school age, I read his biography of uh, Mayor Daly, the first Mayor Daly, not uh, the father, not the not the son.
0: Yeah, and
1: it was just uh, an, an amazing work, and and I still feel like it's it's an amazing work of journalism. Uh, I read uh, Summer of Forty One by David Halberstam, excuse me, Summer of Forty Nine by David Halberstam. It was about the pennant race between the Yankees and the uh, Red Sox that year.
0: Yeah, and
1: that was another fascinating book, and and you know I kind of uh, read a lot of his. Uh, Sports-related works. He was one of those guys. I don't know how much you know about him. He's a very serious journalist. Uh, won a Pulitzer Prize. Worked for the New York Times. Wrote a, lot of, wrote a lot of very serious books. And I guess you know, after he wrote one of these works, he would write. Uh, he would write a sports book. It was it was kind of like a vacation for him. Yeah. So he wrote Summer of '49. He wrote October '64 about the um, uh, about the World Series between the Cardinals and the Yankees. He, yeah. he wrote. Uh, he wrote the Breaks of the game about the Trailblazers. Uh, he wrote, um, you know, the education of a coach about Bill Belichick. So, I mean, you know, he always had a very uh, wide array of of sports books.
0: Yeah, he's one of my faves too. I mean, I I love the serious stuff. You know, like uh, best and the brightest, the powers that be is is his thing on Ford motor company along with the sports book he was he was like one of my influences too when I began my writing career so uh yeah I'm with you all the way on that yeah um do you always see yourself as always writing about Ohio sports history have you ever been tempted like to go beyond the bounds of the Buckeye State
1: well I you know I basically I do a lot of uh writing um for Uh, My day job is at the Chronicle Telegram. That's a local newspaper here in the Cleveland area. Uh, But I do a lot of freelance stuff on the side. And uh, a lot of it amounts to, you know, stories that interest me wherever I think I can find a home for. Mm. Uh, So I wrote earlier this year for Smithsonian about the centennial of the opening of uh, the first Yankee Stadium. And uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote for Pittsburgh Quarterly about the centennial of The 1922 Rose Bowl, which is the uh, – that Rose Bowl uh, featured the smallest school ever to play in a Rose Bowl, and that was Washington and Jefferson College out of Little Washington, Pennsylvania. They, They battled California to a scoreless tie, the only scoreless tie ever to happen at the Rose Bowl. That was the last game before they built, you know, the current Rose Bowl stadium. Uh, it was just a, a fascinating story with a, a, a fascinating cast of characters. That team was coached by uh, Greasy Neal, who, yeah. who was a pro football Hall of Famer. He's a college football Hall of Famer as well. Yeah. And actually had a uh, fairly significant Uh,
0: professional baseball career as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played on the 1919 Cincinnati Reds, the the, the infamous Black Sox scandal series. Yeah, yeah. That's the
1: one, yes.
0: Yeah. Also coached the Philadelphia Eagles. He had two NFL titles. He's featured in my latest book, you know, Lords of the Great Iron, two of pro football's greatest players. He's one of the top 50, according to my calculations. Yeah, truly Mm -hmm. great coach, yeah. Vince, I'm always been kind of curious. I hope you don't mind this. I have a little suggestion for you. Have you ever been tempted? Have you ever considered writing a history of the university of Miami at Ohio football program? Cause that was the cradle of so many immortal college and pro football coaches you ever been tempted to take a look at that history.
1: I, I feel like there is a book on that, 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 uh, is just coming out. Oh, so I mean, I feel, yes, there it is. Red brick magic. Uh, John McVeigh, John Harbaugh, and Miami University's Cradle of Coaches.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, someone beat so you to it. One of the
1: things that's been, you know, written about at, at some length. I've actually uh, covered some of the coaches who, who went to to Miami. Obviously, not anybody on on that big uh, big scale, but, uh, you know, I know that there are some high school coaches uh, in, in the area and some smaller college coaches who have uh, – um, uh, who, who, who have
0: matriculated at Miami of Ohio. You know, when I was doing research for my own, per- my third book, Lords of the Grid and College Football's Greatest Coaches, one thing I noticed of all the top 50, it was a dead heat of which state produced the most coaches in my top 50. Ohio was one of them. West Virginia is the other one. But that's an interesting thing. The state of Ohio was a cradle, not just University of, of Miami and Ohio, but just the state as a whole. That's where a lot of great coaches come from. I mean, that's an interesting phenomenon. Yeah.
1: Well, it's a very, uh, you know, obviously high school football is taken very, very seriously here. Um, There are an awful lot of of colleges in Ohio as well. Uh, Ohio State, of course, is the biggest, but, you know, there are several max schools. And then there are a lot of uh, Division II and Division III schools as well. So there are lots of, and, and obviously if you've done any research on this, you know, that um, there are, are certain coaches that, you know, they, they will keep moving up to the next level. Uh, a really good example is, is Urban Meyer. He is an Ohio yeah. native, went to high school in Ohio, uh, went to college in Ohio, and, uh, you know, he kind of cut his teeth as a coach in Ohio as well. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there are a lot of these guys who will come up, you know, through the ranks. The, the great historic example is Paul Brown, who was also an Ohio native, played yeah. uh, uh Played uh, high school football in uh, Massillon. Uh, played college football at Miami. Uh, came back, coached at uh, Massillon High School. Coached at Ohio State. Uh, was first coach of the Browns and founded the uh, Cincinnati Bengals.
0: That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Vince, who are your favorite Ohio athletes?
1: Uh, there, uh, there are just so many to choose from. I mean, I, I feel like at the top of my list is probably LeBron James, just because he is, you know, I can remember when he was in high school, at St. Vincent, St. Mary's, and and I mean, he was being hyped as the next big thing, even then. And we've seen plenty of players who were hyped in high school or even in college that, you know, kind of reach, you know, their level of immortality and then are unable to go beyond that, but LeBron has, has delivered, I mean, everything. He has been under constant scrutiny since he was, since he pretty much started high school and, you know, he's, he's done it all. I mean, he won a state title uh, when he was in high school. He, he won, uh, he obviously won titles with the, with the Heat and the Cavs and the Lakers. And, you know, he has been, uh, he's the NBA's leading scorer. And I mean, you know, he's got, I if he doesn't have every record in the book, he's pretty close. And, I mean, he's been able to do this at a high level yeah. for 20 years.
0: Yep. Vince, please tell our listeners, where can readers find all of your books?
1: Sure. Uh, Weird Moments of Cleveland Sports is out through Gray Publishing. You can go to their website, grayco.com. Um the Blue Streaks and Little Giants are, is uh, a history press book that is, uh, that is an imprint now of uh, Arcadia and uh, you can find it there. And um, Weird Moment or Ohio Sports Trivia was Lone Pine Publishing. Uh, additionally, you can find it at basically all the usual suspects, Barnes and Noble, um, you know, uh, Books a Million, Amazon, uh, wherever you go, wherever you go looking for books.
0: Vince, what is your next book project? And when can we expect its release?
1: Oh, my goodness, that is, uh, that is a very difficult question. Um, I, uh, you know, I I spent when you written a couple of books, so so you understand uh, that when you write a book, you sit with a, uh, a topic for usually at least a year and more likely probably longer. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, basically at this point, what I'm doing is, is trying to market my latest book and, and, and recharge, you know, I mean, I, I have a couple of, uh, of ideas that uh, let's say have caught my fancy, but I have not done anything even remotely serious about uh, writing another book at this point.
0: Well, Vince, when you do come out with your next work, please let me know. I want you on my show again. You're always welcome, Vince, okay? Well, I appreciate that. Thanks again for having me. And it's a great honor to have you on, Vince, and I wish you the best of luck in all your writing endeavors, okay? All right. Thank you. You take care. Okay. Bye-bye. You too. Stay tuned, ladies and gentlemen, for next week's show, where I will be interviewing sports author Rick Schmelter. Thank you and good night.